We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Shall we begin? Are you ready? Um, so I was racking my brain because um, here's the question. Have, what can you think of that starts really well and gets really bad really quick? Can you think of something? Like I, was, I was thinking about all week, how can I get our people to identify with the people of Israel where it starts really good and it really quickly goes downhill? And so, what? Car trips with young Jordan. There we go. That's a good one. I like that. Here's, um, here's another one that would supplement that, okay? Um, so let's say you get a new phone, okay? That would be a really good thing. And you're so excited. You open up this box, and it's this brand new iPhone 14, and you are just, you're just thrilled. To, all you want to do is talk to people and text people. That's all you want to do, right? You don't have any like ambitions to do evil with this phone. Your heart motive is pretty good. You just, you just want a new phone. You just want to enjoy it. And so you, you turn it on, and then you see this like welcome, and you're like, oh. I can't wait to use this phone. And then, dun, 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 right? The, like, the question comes. And some of you folks know what I'm talking about, okay? The dreaded question of what is your iTunes password? <laughs> Isn't that the worst? It's the worst. They ask you your password, and it is like, Oh no, I haven't used my password in eight years, right? And so then you're like contacting the Apple company and they're going through all these like verification things and identity like security and finally you get into it. And you're like, ah, oh, I have it now. I'm in my phone. And then they're like, well, there's a couple more procedures you need to do. You need to set up um, your thumbprint ID. Some of you older folks know what I'm talking about. This like horrible process. And now I got to set up my face ID. And like there's all these other procedures and you're just like, let me use my phone. Let me use this. This is so bad, right? And finally it happens. You can, you can use your phone. Maybe. If you follow the procedures... But some of you are like, I'll do it later, right? I know some of you. You're like, no, no, I'll do the face setup later. I'll do the ID. I'll do the passwords. I just want to get quickly. I see some nods, okay? And then you realize, you go, oh, what have I done? Because you've created a headache for yourself by not going ahead and setting up that phone. You've created a mess. And friends, that feeling that you have, with like this excitement and then this quick like, ugh. that is a fraction of what the nation of Israel has felt 
going from chapter 12 to chapter 13. A, just a fraction, okay? That's where the nation of Israel is at. And we are going to start our time there. Um, can you identify with that phone situation? Some? Maybe some not. Um, the title today is Three Rungs for Saul. Three Rungs for Saul, like rungs on a ladder. And as we learn more of this character, Saul, the king of Israel, I want to use this image so that we can study him and um, understand his character. Um, oftentimes, um, I hear this um, out of uh, prominent uh, pastors or, um, or like people that we really respect or something like that, where this guy has an affair on his wife. And we hear about it and we're surprised. And we use these, this, these, uh, these phrases like this. I can't believe he fell. I can't, be, I can't believe that he's fallen so far. What happened? And um, what we didn't see is that while he might have started on top of this ladder, uh, behind the scenes, quietly, this man has taken a step down this rung of this ladder, down again, quietly, maybe no one heard about that, compromising his character, his integrity, quietly lying, stealing, cheating on his wife, whatever. And then that last rung, when it becomes public, we say he fell. But in actuality, all along the process, he was taking steps away from the Lord down the rungs of the ladder. Chapter 13, we're going to see three decisions or three rungs, three steps away from the Lord. Each one is a choice. Each rung is a descent away from God. Are you with me? So let's start. Here's the first rung. The first rung, um, and we're going to call it wanting all the glory. Here's where Saul's character is revealed if chapter 12 was an exaltation of Samuel's character, this is an exploitation of Saul's. Let me start reading it for us. Meet me in verse 1. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash in the hill country of Bethel. And a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Verse 3, Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard. It was said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines. And also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And we'll just pause there. So here we go. Saul, chosen by the people, uh, head and shoulders above the rest. They wanted a king to lead them out into battle. They didn't want the Lord in his leadership and his guidance in his rule and his reign, they wanted a king that would do it for them. 
And that was going to be his role. And right here, we see Saul not leading the people out in battle. We actually meet his son for the first time uh, in chapter 13. Later, we find out in verse 16 that um, it is his son, but it mentions Jonathan here. And we meet Jonathan uh, going out and beating this garrison. So here we see his son doing all the work, getting it done. And who gets the glory? You read it. Uh, this, the trumpet was sounded throughout all of Israel saying that Saul defeated the garrison. Question, what kind of dad does that? One who wants all the glory. That's, that's the kind of dad that does that. Um, you've heard it for, uh, before. We, we deserve just hearing it again. The wonderful quote that keeps coming up is, is it's amazing what God can do when no one cares who gets the glory. That is, when we all care that only one person gets the glory, but not each other. And this right here, we've got to pause and not just skip right to the meat of the story, but we've got to learn from Saul right away that this was a choice by him. It was the first rung of the ladder that he decided to go down. It was a lower rung. He wanted the glory. So a question for the church would be, do you? With your life, do you want to get the glory or do you want to live for God's glory? C.S. Lewis called our hearts an idle factory. It's, it's, it's prone. It, it produces glory and desires for not of God, but of yourself. It's a good time to just ask, are you pursuing your own kingdom or his? Are you building his or yours? Are you, do you want your own glory? Or do you want his with your life? That would be the first rung or first decision for you. What am I living for? Who am I living for? Do you... And we're just getting right after it right away. Do you have any rungs in your life? Have you made any decisions that maybe the people closest to you don't know, that your church doesn't know, that your neighbors don't know, but you know in the deepest, darkest part of your heart? Have you made any of those decisions where it's like, eh, it's not that big of a deal? This passage is going to serve us. It's going to serve the church this morning to say it's a really big deal. Be careful. It, this passage is going to function in such a way as to admonish and warn us. Well, let's go to the second rung. When you hit troubles, when you hit trials, what are you going to do? What are you going to decide? Second rung is this, rejecting God's word. Rejecting God's word. Meet me in verse 5. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. Don't miss that. That's a lot of people. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth Haven. 
When the men of Israel saw that the people were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. So this is important to just imagine in your head and not just, um, not just write it off or become numb to the Scriptures. Like This is an actual historical event. So imagine you before a, a sea of people more numerous than sand on the seashore. I think that would give us some fear too. And they were so afraid that they thought it would be safer to hide in places like cisterns than face this multitude of people. Like cisterns, like wells. And so imagine crawling in a deep, dark, like cold well where water is coming up here and you cover yourself because this is going to be a better situation than facing this. It's important to, to, to go there so that you understand the pressures that Saul is facing when he's about to make a decision. Okay? Do a favor for me. Flip back to the left. Just a few pages to chapter 10. What are you going to do when challenges come your way? There's the challenge Saul was given specific instruction on what to do, okay? Look at chapter 10 and verse 8. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. Samuel says, Then go down before me, that's Samuel, to Gilgal. And behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days, Saul. Seven days you shall wait. When? Until I come. Until I come to you and show you what you shall do. This is an important part. You guys got to catch this. Samuel was the mouthpiece of God. God used Samuel to speak to his people. Samuel is speaking to Saul. So we can equal. We can just go. This, when Samuel speaks, God speaks. So Saul should listen to God. Yes, to Samuel. Saul should listen to God. So when trials come, when temptations come, what should Saul do? What should we do? We should listen to the very words of God. Okay? So I, I, we went there. We have some sympathy for Saul. We understand the great trials that he's facing, the pressures. He's leading this army. What should he do? What should, the, what should the commander and the chief do? He should take action, right? Well, he's not the commander-in-chief. The Lord is. And so, Saul chooses to act on his own ideas, his own will. The narrative says that he he waited seven days and then he made a sacrifice. What was Saul's sin? Like, if we're trying to just figure this out and just talk plainly, what did he do wrong? He rejected God's word by rejecting Samuel's instructions. 
plain speaking, Saul rejected the voice of God. This week, um, when our community groups get together, this is what we'll ask each other as we process. Remember, a sermon, is, yes, is a monologue. It's a, it's a proclamation to God's people. But then in our community groups, we want dialogue. We want, to, we want this word to go back and forth and, and sit and dig down deep in our hearts and be planted. And so here's the question that we're going to ask. Why is it so tempting to reject God's word to us? What are some particular passages that you're struggling with right now that your group can pray for? It's good. We, friends, we want to struggle well. We're all tempted to reject God's word like Saul here. But we want to struggle well, meaning we want to identify it and we want to not reject the Lord, but we want to obey him with all our heart, mind, soul, strength. Remember the Great Commission, baptizing and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. We want to be obeyers. We want to be doers of the word, not hearers. We don't want to reject God's word together. Amen? Uh, so that was the second rung. Here's the third rung. Notice this descent that Saul is going down. The third rung is seeking blessing, not direction. Seeking blessing, not direction. Um, I think the ESV commentary nailed it right here. Let me listen. Let me read this for you, okay? Um, they wrote, Saul, in his actions of, of going ahead and setting up a sacrifice and not waiting for Samuel, okay? Saul sought divine blessing for what he will do, not divine direction as to what he should do. I'll read it again because I know it's a little bit linguistically like, what? Saul, he sought divine blessing for what he will do, not divine direction as to what he should do. So that's the latter rung. Let's sit in it for a while. Uh, qu quick question like, have you ever done that? <laughs> Me too, right? Like, it goes like this. Lord, this is what I want to do. Would you bless it? Instead of, Lord, what should I do? Like, what would you have for me? What have you already told me in your word? Samuel's words, here I am. Would you give me direction, guidance? Um, quick story, that is the exact question that a man named Jeremiah Lamphere asked. Uh, Jeremiah uh, lived in America, and he took part in one of the greatest revivals that, the, uh, that America has ever seen. It's called the New York Revival, uh, or, or um, other people call it the Layman's Revival of 1858. This revival uh, didn't happen uh, because some awesome preacher or some amazing sermon or some incredible strategy. It happened because people prayed. And it happened because one guy asked this question. Lord, what would you have me do? I want to live my life for you. I want to be used by you. What would you have me do? And he felt the leading of the Holy Spirit to, to, to just start praying. 
It wasn't like he heard from God audibly or he got this amazing strategy and he got out his risk board and like said, well, we're going to do this and this and it's going to be world domination. Christian, He said, I think, I think at least we should start praying. And so uh, he met uh, at 12 o'clock and at the first meeting that he had, there was one person himself. <laughs> and so he said, well, I'm going to pray, Lord. And he prayed for 20 minutes. And at that meeting, um, 20 minutes later, six people came. They prayed for an hour, and they said, let's do this again next week. Next week, 20 people came. And after a short while, let me get these numbers right. After a short while, 50,000, after six months, 50,000 people daily were praying. That's just in the Manhattan area. They were meeting in churches, community centers, in YMCAs. And this revival was marked simply by people coming together, praying, and seeing God answer prayers. Uh, There's a book out there I I would love to refer to, and and it's just account after account after account of people saying, Lord, I pray for this person that they would become a Christian. And then the next day, they become a Christian, and they come to the prayer meeting. Lord, I pray that this marriage that is in shambles would be restored. And next day, both of them come, and they pray, and both of them come to Christ, and they're now walking with the Lord. That, That Account after account after account. People just praying and God answering prayer. It's beautiful. All by one person just saying, what would you have me do? This is a great question. It challenges um, both, if we could reduce all Christians to two kinds of people, um, let me just do it for a second. It challenges the planners, the type A's, the, the, the strategy people, the visionaries, right? These people, it's almost like they've already got the answers. They're they're already like doing, they don't struggle with that. And so the question of what would you have me do? They don't want to ask that question. They already know what they're already doing. Like just bless, just bless what I'm doing, right? They don't struggle with initiation. And so it causes, this question causes the type A kind of person to surrender all their plans. I'm sorry, this kind of group right here just got caught up in the type A people. I don't know. (laughs) So you guys are next. (laughs) So it also challenges the folks who tend to be not strong initiators, the folks who tend to ride the passive train a little bit. Because this question, what would you have me do? It leads them to action. To, to busying their hands for the work of the gospel. Like, what, Lord, would you have me do? These people, they love, they love this song. Trust and hmm, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Sing it with me. But to trust and hmm, I don't like that last word. That is a great question, isn't it? Would you ask that question this week? Lord, what would you have me do? 
Well, back to the narrative, that is not the question that Saul was asking. He wasn't asking that. He, wasn't he, he wouldn't receive the revelation from God. And here's what happened next. Here's the consequences to his disobedience. Uh, meet me in verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which He commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after His own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over His people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Okay, so here we go. Saul's out. Or better said, Saul's dynasty is no longer going to continue. And Samuel announces that he's going to put a new man in the position. And it's going to be a, a new man that wants a heart or that, that wants God's heart. He's going to be after God's heart. He's going to be asking the questions like, Lord, what do you think? What would you want? And in the eyes or in the mind and the heart of Israel, honestly, you got to ask this question of like, what more could they want from Saul? Like from a, a, from a leader. Like Saul was an initiator. Like we were in trouble and he went and did the sacrifice. Even though that was like a little gimmick. Like let's just do this so that like we can get out of this mess, right? Saul was awesome. He was a warrior. He like won in previous chapters huge battles. He was showing signs of victory. Like in terms of a worldly perspective, we're, we're going to be on a trajectory of success. But remember what this particular book is about. There's 66 books in this Bible. Each one of them contribute uniquely to the story of the Scriptures. And 1 Samuel is telling us that God chooses to work in unexpected ways. Do you remember that? He doesn't work like us, like we would think. He's going to work in unexpected ways. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so here's how it, it would come up in terms of just everyday vernacular, like we would go, so what, God, us, what are, what are you looking for, God? And God would say, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. And we would say, what? <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? And God would say, everything. It has to do with everything. Having a heart. For me, look at the words that Samuel uses here real quick. Just a, a deep little dive here. He says that the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. The Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. Usually, when you start thinking Hey, Saul, you're king. You're going to get another king. The word choice would be Melech. That's where like Melchizedek, like that's the king Hebrew word. And so you would anticipate, I'm going to put another king in place. But he doesn't use that word. He uses the Hebrew word Nagid, 
N-A-G-I-D, which means one of prominence. That is, I'm choosing a man who is not the son of a king, and I'm going to crown him prince. Wait, wait, what? What? That's not how things go in the ancient world. You follow the family line, and he goes, no, no, no. I, this is how I'm going to work. What qualifies this man is his heart for me. Not his family line, not his physical stature, not his smarts. This should be incredibly encouraging for you. If you have come here today and you're like, I want to be used by the Lord, and then you use a comma, and then you use the word, but? This should be incredibly encouraging because God uses the unexpected people. And we're going to see in a couple of chapters, he picks this lowly, short, ruddy shepherd boy to shepherd God's people, to be king. He was prominent. Why? Because he had a heart for God. That should be incredibly encouraging to you. So if you are asking the question, what do you want me to do, Lord? And he leads you in a direction. It should be incredibly comforting that the Lord gives the qualifications for his servant in this passage. If you ask this question, and maybe fear came into your mind five minutes ago when we talked about the question of what would you have me do? We talked about Jeremiah Lamb fear, and you started feeling led by the Lord. You're like, you're writing down in the margin of your Bible and your notes, Lord, I think you're leading me through this passage to do something. Da, 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 da. And then immediately fear strikes in. Isn't it beautiful how Scripture, as we follow it, is answering and speaking right to our hearts and it's saying, if you have any fear after asking that question, what I want to tell you today is that God is looking at your heart, not your skill set, not how cool you are, how you do your hair, the clothes you wear, the money you have. He just wants your heart. And if we could put one adjective in front of it, it would be this, a willing heart. He wants, he just wants you to be willing. That would be the indication or the heart status or the litmus test of your heart. Are you willing to follow him? We're going to study a whole bunch on this idea of going after the heart of God. But look at how this chapter ends. It's a little hopeless, honestly. Um, it's kind of a downer, in fact. The people of God end up suffering because of the leader's sins. They, uh, they, they're dealing with their consequences. So they're all like prisoners now or servants. Um, they don't have any weapons. And all their farm tools, even though it's theirs, they have to now rent them for a fee uh, from the Philistines. And so we, we kind of end this chapter like, ugh. I kind of was laughing at first about that whole iTunes passage, but these are like an iTunes example, but these are real people. And this chapter went from bad to like, or good to bad, like really nice to ugly. And it's the backdrop of just hopelessness. And, um, and that's, 
that's okay that we, we land there today because it's going to set the stage for deliverance to occur. But if you would, just consider this alternative. Again, Samuel was the mouthpiece of God. And if Saul would have listened to God, things would have been different. They would have been saved. Why didn't they value sufficiently their access to the word of God? Why did they doubt it? Amos 8, 11 reads like this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I pray that that would not be true of us, that we would hunger and thirst for God's word that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. So friends, let's, let's close here. If you could just imagine that image in your mind of a ladder. The decision that Saul made was to seek his own glory. So you've got to come to a place in your life where you let go of the reins, let go of your ambition for yourself, your name, your renown, and say, I'm going to have every conversation, every action, everything in my calendar. I want it to be for the glory of God. Everything at work, everything, Lord, is for you. You give me breath. You give me life. All back to you, God. That's got to be a decision or else you are deciding. No decision is a decision. Don't seek your own glory. The next rung, rejecting God's word. Friends, we've all been there. If you hear a verse that cuts to your heart, the Puritans used to say, it, it, it cuts to the quick. And you're fighting with it. Um, not a good fight, though. Like, a good fight would be, oh, Lord, I know that's true. Help me to submit to your word, to follow it. A bad fight would be like this. Oh, that's a good verse for this guy, <laughs> right? Oh, I wish so-and-so were here to hear that one, uh-huh, right? Um, but not for me because my situation is unique. If you have that heart attitude what you are doing is you're taking one step down the ladder. You're choosing, I want, I want to descend. I don't want to ascend to the hill of the Lord. I don't want, I like it. And I want to reject it. Because it's scary to go that way. And I'm going to white knuckle it. And you need to know from this passage that things don't end well when you reject God's word. And the last rung that we need to be aware of is that we should not, we cannot seek blessing and not direction. We can't just like do our own thing and the Lord bless this. The better way, the way of the wise, the way of, of, of God is to seek him first. And we're going to see it over and over and over again in the life of David. You watch it. 
take a pen out, read ahead. Everywhere where it says, and David inquired of God, underline it and make a Bible study out of it and do it. Every decision that you have, inquire of God. That's one more step down the ladder though. If you just do your own thing and then ask the Lord to bless it. But if we could just take a step back I think if this tone was where we ended our time together, I think you would essentially get from this message, um, hey, uh, the Bible and Newman just said, uh, don't mess up your life. <laughs> just don't do bad stuff and stop making bad decisions. Um, it'll all end in a mess. The truth of it is, though, friends, um, we all have past tense. We've all done these things. Yes, this is going to serve us in the future for um, um, helping us avoid temptations, helping us fight our sin from within. But can I tell you some good news from this passage? Jesus Christ was everything Saul was not. If you just took those three rungs of the ladder, Jesus never once did he seek his own glory in a sinful way. He sought the glory of the Father. Never once did he reject God's word. The guy was the word himself, right? I mean, John 1, read it. And he committed to do the will of the Father no matter the cost. He is so gracious in that it's not like Jesus just sought direction and never blessing. It's almost like he turned the tables, flipped the whole thing, and he became our blessing and gave us every spiritual blessing in him, in Christ Jesus, and gives us the Holy Spirit to give us direction. It's, it's totally opposite. It's not just like a little bit different. Jesus Christ is everything Saul wasn't. And I'm thankful for him. He's saved us. This is love. And so even though we have taken those rungs down, the good news is this. And I can't say it better than Corey Tenboom. This is Corey Tenboom. Ready? There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Friend, if you've taken some of those steps down the rung of the ladder, God's love will go after you and get you. And that's, I've, I've, I've been your pastor now for four or five years. I know he's seized each one of your hearts. He's gone down to the very pit and brought you back out. Why? You've got something to live for. His glory. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we are so grateful. And we're so, we're so just at a loss for words. We acknowledge that you are good to us. We thank you that if we cling to you, 
And Lord, you're going to be faithful and hold fast to us. Your promise is this, that you will keep us from stumbling. You'll keep us from falling. And we, we want that. I pray for our church that we would seek your glory. Lord, that we would be appreciative and faithful to seek access to your word, that we wouldn't reject it. Lord, I pray that we would seek first the kingdom of God. And as Lord Peter leads us in communion, as we take the bread and the cup, help us to quiet our hearts, to be still, and to commune with you.